Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we, using the amazing Forgetify web app, take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have, until this point, not been played, and we talk about them. Uh, thanks for coming to episode two. You made it. Episode one was good. Two will be better. My name's Robbie, and to introduce myself more thoroughly this time, I'm a jazz pianist that, that lives and, and works as much as one can work in Cincinnati. Alrighty. I am Eric Black. I am a clarinetist. I attended the Miami University in Oxford, Ohio with Robbie Head. That's and then me. I went, <laughs> that's him folks, uh, from school. Yeah. Um, and I went to Peabody for grad school and I met Matthew Pellegrino there. And I'm going to pass it off to Matt right now. Yep. So, hi, I'm Matt Pellegrino. I attended uh, SUNY Fredonia for my undergrad. And I've been uh, at Peabody for my master's and my doctorate since uh, 2016. Wow, what a different time. That's when Pokemon oh. Go came out. Oh, my goodness. Um, yep, I am a kind of recovering oboist and a composer more so these days. So, um, and these days I'm mostly just working on some little film scoring projects during our lovely pandemic forced break from life. So today we've got some really, uh, a good variety, I would say. Wouldn't, wouldn't you guys have, have some, some, some music to listen to today? Definitely, definitely a wide gamut here. And that's the beauty of the Forgetify folks. You never know what you're going to get. It could be anything. And today, if nothing else, it is something. So... Why don't we take it away, Matt? So I lead think us that in. means yeah. That I think that means me. We're gonna start with my selection for today. I had to do some some digging through for the Forgetify app this time around, but the reward was well worth it. So rather than Spotify today, I'm gonna give you guys a little visual aid that we should be uploading to our socials as well. Uh, this song has um, a music video. So this song is called Drive Me Crazy by, uh, I don't know if it's HOTS, like with a, HOTS with a Z. It's stylized as H-O-T-Z with a period between each letter. Now, um, Robbie, Eric, and myself try to do a bit of digging on this. We really don't know anything more about these The information fellas. does not exist. We've tried. It's not out there, folks. We tried uh, yeah. hard. So HOTS, if you're out there, or H-O-T-Z, if you're out there, we would love to know more about this. And uh, let's just play, you know, a good 30 seconds of, of this and, um... Just tell me that you want me, baby. Hold me now, grab onto me, baby. Don't mess around, just show me, baby. Do the things that drive me crazy. Don't be so formal with me, baby. Let's get down so with the folks at home, we really recommend you look up this music video. Baby, baby, because the visual is pretty Sitting on the fence, I can't take no more off. I want to be with one who I can be sure of. So there's about like 30 seconds of music there. So I was just confused when I first stumbled upon this. Thank you so much for Godify. I really appreciate this absolute gem. Um, there's something, I mean, we could just talk about the music first. Why don't we just talk about the music first? There's something going on here. So this was 2013. Uh, reminds me of those guys that did all those early viral hits um, on YouTube. I think Lonely Island. Do you guys remember them? Uh, of course. Who could yeah, Andy Samberg. 
Yeah, yes, Andy Sandberg. So this is like very much, I think, in that same vein, like that flavor of 2010s early YouTube humor, where it was just like really weird stuff. Like the, the visuals here, I mean, we talked about it. This is very like the annoying orange. It's like that same mildly disturbing features right this like yeah for, for the people who haven't had the chance to see it on instagram or just listening it, it it is like uh that horrible mask of death superimposed over various fruits in like uh tropical locales big emphasis on the teeth lots of mouth uh on these fruits kind of as disturbing as that first attempt of the sonic live action movie where the teeth just oh, freaked yeah. everyone out. But, yeah, those um, scary stuff. It's just like the weird Ricky Martin-esque kind of backtrack with like, um, I think, I think Eric, you said it's kind of like there's, it's almost like salsa samples, maybe like samples. of Yeah, you've got salsa. like the flamenco guitar and uh, you've got the brass band in the back. Um, it's, uh, your mariachi class- kind of band, you know. Your, your classic Latin pop. Is is kind of what it the vibe it's given off, uh, but more than that, it's uh, like a karaoke backing track is kind of what I thought yeah. of when I heard this. That's sort of what the production reminded me of. Yeah, the low production, and we talked about how like the samples are just like completely snipped, just like cut and dry chop at the end of like the the brass chops. I guess those like um, Arturo Sandoval like really high trumpet chops. Mm. Right, the very, very fast decay on those things. Probably like on their on their synths, they they got that decay, well, very high or very low, depending on which direction you're looking at it from. And I think I we have to stress again the importance of you gotta watch this video. It's the real center of the the piece here. It brings it all together. Yeah, I feel like the um, without the video, the music doesn't really make sense because you can definitely tough they're going for comedic effect here you know it's this is not a necessarily serious song um but without the video that might be lost on i think this really does toe the line though of like meme music right this is this is a meme this is Ah, for all intents and purposes this is a joke the video like kind of proves that so when i first heard it via spotify and the album art on spotify is um it's just the orange face, like the guy with the, the, guy orange, with the face orange face yeah. and like the hat. Ah. And mind you, this is the only thing you can find on Spotify by HOTZ. Like right. this is it. That's yeah, that's the other thing. Like we mentioned, this is like only on Vimeo on a channel that seems to upload mostly about like a vineyard in uh, the United Kingdom. Otherwise, it's got six views. We don't know where this dang thing came from, folks. It just dragged... It's like the cat that drags the, the dead mouse and drops it on your doorstep. That's so, what this is. Again, kind of to do some like little theory crafting, right? You know, that's what we're, we seem fond of here at <laughs> Drop the Needle in the Haystack. What is this doing? Like, I, I, it's almost as if this was... A, the question. This was like the meme that kind of missed the boat, right? When people were just kind of throwing stuff into the kitchen sink, like at the beginning of 2010s with weird meme humor. Let's see what works, right? Mm, it was a wasteland, we all remember. I wanna, I wanna stress real quick that by saying this music is a joke, we do not mean this in a mean way. This is actually like, this is great. This, you can tell that 
a lot of effort has been put into the special effects and production for him to like go through and animate all these things. Yeah, get the faces on the fruit, it's... the music like oh, no, isn't bad. You know, it's just it's you know there are components that you know like the chopped off trumpets and brass, which is a little bit interesting. You know, and the production value isn't super high, but you know his voice isn't bad. You know the it's it's got this interesting kind of low whisper kind of thing going through the rapping, but that just kind of adds to the effect of what you're seeing on screen. I could I dance mean, to this. Wasn't that a stylistic choice? I mean, like, we're, if we're going to say this was intentionally produced as an attempt at meme music or just with the intention of being meme music, then all of this was probably stylistic choices right here because, like, that way of, like, that sing, rap, mumble whispering kind of thing this is all with the intent of like getting the joke across right absolutely yeah and even the production of the video having the disturbing kind of eyes and only mouth without the nose right. kind of on the fruit <laughs> choices i mean that's a production choice so uh, i guess it's it's probably just one of those things that was meant to live its life on like the internet music and video humor, I suppose. I would think so. But exclusively on Vimeo, and that's the thing. It's not on you. We couldn't find it on YouTube. That is surprising. I wonder if YouTube I, I, just kind of like axed it or something, you know? Got rid of it. YouTube said no. Not here on our Christian YouTube. <laughs> you gotta get this orange. We've only got one room for videos about orange, and that's the annoying orange. He's still yeah, maybe there's that. branding dispute. You there's don't know. branding dispute. That's right. Or maybe it's like they they backed. Okay, Vimeo's going to be the big video sharing service and not YouTube. And I'm putting it all on Vimeo. And then when that didn't turn out, he's just like, well, "That's it. I can't. I clearly this have is, no sense for this system. This game. This is 2013, right, Matt? Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, 2013. Yeah. So Vimeo at that point, there was talk like, "Oh, this could be like the next big." streaming service they were really heavily starting to compete and then of course you know it never really happened but i could see that being the case that's true that maybe... and it is yeah. hd footage isn't it in the background it looks pretty high quality in 2013 youtube just couldn't support it at that time i don't it was remember too the powerful timeline. and strong for youtube the pixels were too heavy <laughs> it could be it could, could be. be heavy pixels but, you know as much fun as this um and as, as much fun it is, it is to enjoy the oddity of this song, Drive Me Crazy by H.O.T.Z. Uh, we just want to know more. I think, I think we all just kind of want to know more about right. what this is and like where it came from and why isn't there more? That's a big question we were asking ourselves. Right, yeah. How did this not blow up? That's what I want to know. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe it missed the boat, but even missing the boat, you know, it can still blow up because it missed the boat. You know, like that's the beauty of meme and internet humor is that sometimes, you know, memes come back from the dead just because someone tried hard enough. So is that going to be our mission? Or are we going to be sharing this video to try it? Right. Yeah. Share this video with everyone you know. We've got to find who made this. Have you seen this hots? Please, my hots. It's very sick. We need to find it. Who made this? But, you know, I think, again, it comes back to that around this time, people were just throwing whatever they could at the kitchen sink and seeing what sticks, right? That weird time around 20, 2010 internet. But, so, yeah, that was, that was my find for this week. Drive Me Crazy by H.O.T.Z. with a singing mustachioed orange by a poolside. Does that get us into the hey. next piece? 
that gets us into the next piece. Robbie, why don't you take it away? Okay, let me pull up my my letters, my notes here. Okay, so for this week, uh, I found a band called Helvet. Uh, I think it's pronounced that way. This is a Belgian musician. Uh, the band is Helvet, and the track we're listening to is Die Gek, which I believe translates to The Fool. music and in fact I thought I can't min I keep clicking the dang minimize button but you know what you cannot minimize zoom if you're recording it take that to the bank anyway uh, I'm gonna read a little bit of the artist page here so he's uh, he produces hypnotic ballads on harmonium and electronics flowing freely in the spheres of minimalism drone and folk music and as you can probably hear lots of droning Lots of sustained tones, lots of interesting electronic kind of oriented sounds. And at this particular sentence that he puts here, I like, it's an intense blast of segmented energy that will guide you to the outskirts of your mind. So, fellas, what do you oh. think? Are we in the outskirts of your mind yet? We're There's pretty something, close. There's something really nice about what this music does as you, like, listen to it. And I think we had a nice extended listen to it earlier where it just kind of, you know, keeps going and just doing its thing and you can feel the layers kind of like stacking on top of each other because like that's what the drone really enables quite well musically speaking right yeah it's very uh sort of this building ambient well building ambient sound literally but this uh building texture right this building picture that that sort of uh you know i guess compared to maybe some of the traditional pop songs that generate the interest with with the lyrics or or these melodies and these functional harmonies that go somewhere and come back this is much more uh, like you say matt kind of driven by broader textures to create like a tapestry music to meditate to for sure and we were talking about it earlier that there's really there's so many different drones happening here. Matt clung on to the low drone, whereas the high drone immediately took it away from for me. Um, it reminds me a lot of the kind of drones you get from a bagpipe and that you do have a wide array, but there's always that higher pitched drone going on there and that it, it can kind of be displaced. A little bit as um, as the piece continues, but there's always this omnipresent drone in the bagpipe, and that's same thing here. I think we all kind of talked about the we all had an interesting take on the intonation with the drones and and this song in particular. Now that I think about it more, the intonation is what kind of made that high drone sound so interesting, right? You talked about even the bagpipe being like a drone um, drone based instrument, and the bagpipe too has some very interesting like intonation qualities to it right where you actually get the clashing dissonance helping to amplify the sound i think yeah and um the added voices in we didn't get quite far enough into the to the music to really hear how the voices start to really kind of clash and then blend and clash and blend with the drone as they move around the various sessitores they're singing in 
that combined with the fact that it it kind of sounds like the microphone they're recording in a large space the microphones may be a little too far away for the diction to come through super clearly uh, well i it, think that that's probably an intentional choice there uh yeah absolutely i'm yeah what was that yeah I sorry i i didn't mean to suggest that it wasn't yeah but it it, it creates an, a very interesting mix of sound that's true well and the melody does kind of continue or at least the singing you know if you listen to the little track it continues in a similar fashion and i think that does like you say eric sort of um we're always listening maybe for the melody to sort of sit at the top of the song right or, or it's sort of stratified in a way where the melody is like the main thing we're hearing and and even the pr the process of like mixing all these different frequencies we're trying to make sure the melody doesn't sound muddy or anything but like you say i think it's a very intentional choice to make the melody more you know more ambient or more distant yeah it, I've already it, it's very calming music you know calming, it's yeah, yeah the soundscape almost it's like a it's a vocal soundscape is kind of what ends up being created kind of reminded me of do you guys remember i don't remember which game but i think it was either i want to say one of the fallouts like fallout 4 or fallout uh, 76 and or the last of us it kind of reminded me of that kind of cinematic game trailer where you've just got these like acoustic guitar ish right. i couldn't quite tell what the plucked instrument what it was almost like banjo-ish in a way yeah the timbre of the strings that just it, it really creates that atmosphere you know right and i think it's worth getting into the idea of like how this folk music is interacting in a pop setting because mm. you know we as uh, american musicians tend to view pop and folk as intersecting a little differently I think, you know, pop, pop music tends not to interact with folk music too much these days, but I think, Robbie, you mentioned that there was a very active scene for this in, in Europe, right? That's correct. Uh, at least from, from what I can tell, it's the uh, Belgian record label, and he's all, uh, all the artists are based in Belgium, and he even appeared in a documentary, looks like it's called Drone Volk, which covers four bands in in the Belgian drone and folk scene there. So it seems very, very alive. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that American folk and American pop exist pretty separately from one another. The closest we get to that is country pop, right? Like mm -hmm. Taylor Swift mm -hmm. or old Taylor Swift, not modern Taylor Swift. And I think most folk and country musicians would argue that it's not very close. And right. yeah, I guess you could say old Taylor Swift is about as close as it gets, but I don't think folk musicians really consider that part of their canon. Right. Well, I mean, like we don't have the American fiddle tune tradition continuing through the pop music industry. Ah, uh, but what, no. if we, what if we did, though? I think um, the closest, bring it back, boys. Maybe the closest we get to this is, do you remember um, Mumford and Sons? I was about oh, to say Mumford and Sons, for sure. Mumford yeah. and his wonderful sons. <laughs> <laughs> Was he like Bach? He had 20 sons or 20 yeah, children? 20, 20 mini Mumfords all around <laughs> Papa Mumford. The banjo yeah, playing like, and the stomping. But Mumford and Sons inspired a whole wave of, of the, or maybe they were at the height of it. I, I remember my freshman year, my roommate was obsessed with Mumford and Sons, Monsters and Men, like Fleet Foxes. Do you guys remember those? Yeah. I, Fleet yeah. Foxes sound familiar. Yeah, I remember them. 
each band Absolutely. getting progressively more and more hipster, like, you know, banjos, ukuleles, the whole nine yards. Oh, boy. Maybe a hurdy-gurdy just for, for good measure. Oh, <laughs> that does vary. It's like a visceral sense memory of my freshman year dorm that such music conjures up to me. You can even smell it a little bit. I can smell the terrible <laughs> smell. Yep, but that genre's kind of uh, fallen off, hasn't it? It's, it's dead It's now. certainly not nearly as popular as it was. Mumford has passed, and his sons are in mourning. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That genre, I think, kind of fell off, at least the, the main stage, like, towards the end of our college careers, right? Like, towards the end of, like, 2015-16-ish. Yeah, it, it wasn't right. that long, long-lived. And I think it's because I don't know it's what just... really replaced it. It's just so easy to, like... I guess joke about, right? Mumford and Sons, I think, at least to my mind, that's like the big one. The group, they had their whole thing, and then you have like a bunch of Mumford likes or sort of maybe ones that started earlier but were not quite as popular. I think and also the genre got really saturated really fast. I remember right. Mumford and Sons released an album and then another one like a year later, and um, it doesn't these... seem like there's a lot to do with the genre. I think part of it was like, the look, a very specific aesthetic and look, like you said, with a very hipster kind of vibe, yeah. which is like really striking, but it's also very easy to get tired of and then parody. Yeah. Civil War era, you know, wool trousers with your wool vest over your denim button down, you know, some kind of large hat, you know, no baseball caps here, folks. God, We're going I full Western. Or like Amish hat style. I'm not sure. What do you call those hats? Anyone know? Oh, I, I think no it's called Amish hat style. <laughs> but I wonder what this, on the street. I, I kind of wonder what does this scene look like in Europe? What does this this nice intersection of folk kind of pop scene look like? Are they are they a bunch of beard growing hipsters as we know and love them in America? Or I could I got a sure. picture of the guy. Do you guys want to see a picture of him? Sure. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? Here, let's get this. Can you see it? That looks right. Okay, so we got denim, we got a plaid shirt, lightly bearded. Very, yeah, just a he would fit right in. Yeah. What a handsome fella. Good songs, guy. What's his that name? That looks Do right you? to me. Hold on, let me get his name, too, because I only said the band's name is, is Helvet, or H-E-L-L-V-E-T-E, -E, and the guy who does it is called Glenn Steenkist, I believe. Pardon my pronunciation. Steenkist. Yeah. Steenkist. All right, well, that took a turn. Um, we kind of got off on a tangent there, but good piece, okay. Robbie. I'm going to cut out all of this. This is, none of this is making the show. <laughs> um, should we move on to Pigtown Fling? Absolutely. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So this is my selection for today. It is a piece composed for piano solo. It's called Pigtown Fling. It's composed by Ernst Bacon. And on this track, it's performed by Robert Helps. Uh, just to give some background Robert about helps Mr. What, Bacon. Eric? Eric, Robert helps what? <laughs> he helps play the piano for this piece. I thought that was clear when I... <laughs> uh, and now I'll disappear back in the mud. Anyway, continue. <laughs> okay, so Mr. Bacon was a composer, pianist, and conductor. He was born in 19... What I, or Sorry, 1898 and made it to 1990. I believe. He, had a he very knew long the life. original Mumford and each one of his <laughs> Yeah, so he was very prolific. He wrote 250 pieces in his career, 
and music apparently was not the only thing he was good at. He went to Northwestern for mathematics, eventually transferred to University of Chicago. And then after he graduated with that degree, he went to the University of California at Berkeley, where he got his master's degree in composition. Uh, he was awarded three Guggenheim fellowships, a Pulitzer scholarship in 1932 for his second symphony. Um, and then he later went on to teach at both Eastman and the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. So it's a real nerd we're dealing with, folks. <laughs> But, you know, what's amazing to me is he did all these things and until today, I had never heard of him. There's so much good music out there that has just really been lost to the ages. And I think you'll find that this is one of those pieces. A little bit more trivia, just because I found it personally interesting. He also wrote a piece called Remembering Ansel Adams, the famous black and white landscape photographer. And it is a piece uh, for clarinet and orchestra. So I may be doing some exploration after uh, after the podcast. New a bit piece. more bacon. Yeah, a bit more bacon. Yeah. Uh, Pigtown, just so everyone knows, is a neighborhood in the southern area of Baltimore. It is one of Baltimore's most promising neighborhoods, and it encompasses the area, encompasses the area of Camden Yards, the Raven Stadium, the Inner Harbor, and in general, downtown Baltimore. So Matt and I are pretty well acquainted with this part of town. Yeah, this locale. Shall we give it a listen? Yeah, let's give it a listen. So just to kind of kick off the discussion, um, what immediately came to mind for me is this is like early Americana. I can see this easily fitting in on something like Tin Pan Alley. Do you guys remember that from your music history classes? Oh, the yeah. street in New York City where uh, I don't I don't remember how many shops it was, but it was a street basically filled with music shops. Um, and old pianos and people would sit down and play new compositions at these pianos to help sell sheet music and new recordings. And it's famously known as Tin Pan Alley. You know, it's not quite ragtime or anything like that, but it's got that influence in regards to its rhythm. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about it. You know, I can't speak to the chord structure or anything that's happening there in the same way that you guys can. Well, I think but... one thing to to maybe point out for some of our listeners who might not be as uh, kind of tuned in to the world of classical music, uh, this is what we would, and I, I only think of this because I saw the title, it's New Music for the Piano is, is the Album. And e Eric mentioned before we recorded, this piece is from 1930, is, is that right? Yeah, 1930. And so that's kind of, that is what we would definitely consider new classical music when you're dealing in that range it's kind of like oh it's only like 70 years ago that's pretty that's pretty new and in a similar vein what struck to me or, or what it sounded like to my ear is uh copeland is kind of the first thought i got thank you in my yeah. head like yeah. uh th there's even this famous 
Oh, fuck. I don't remember the... Am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Uh, we'll bleep it out. <laughs> we'll bleep it out. No, you, well, you won't. I'll bleep it out. I'll edit it. Or I won't. What's the set? It's like four folk songs or something by Copeland, where the last one's the banjo. And the piano part, the accompaniment, is very much like this. I don't remember exactly, but... Yes, I remember that piece. I remember exactly what you're talking about. I remember the banjo. And I remember that was that was dropped on us during a drop the needle test, actually. There you go. Where we had to try and figure out what it was, and none of us succeeded. But um, yeah, thanks. Thank you both for mentioning Americana and and um, Copeland because that's exactly where my my mind just goes when I hear this. Eric, you kind of talked about um, ragtime, which I didn't quite think of right away, but this is right on the heels of ragtime. Like ragtime was kind of at its peak, I think maybe only a decade or two earlier, like 1910s, kind of short-lived, very short-lived time in like popular American music. But those dance rhythms, that's what you're picking up on. Like, have you seen compositions yeah. that are called like um, shuffles or foxtrots or, or cakewalks, stuff oh, like yeah, that? Yeah. Those had like Absolutely. weird little quirky dance rhythms and those syncopations like da 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 that we could kind of hear in the right hand over that steady kind of bop, 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 little left-hand gesture. But I, I really found it funny when I, you didn't quite tell us the, uh, the year of composition when we first listened to it, was like the, all the little wrong note choices that you can hear in the left hand and the right hand occurring kind of irregularly. Did you kind of pick up on those, Robbie, those little wrong notes that snuck into this kind of pentatonic tonality? Right, yeah, it's like uh, I list. I noticed it more the second time listening to it, but it's 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 kind of like, uh, you know, those half steps thrown in every every once in a while. There, uh, I don't know if I'd characterize them as wrong notes. I, I think a lot of it is well. That might be kind of just generally the the sort of effect it implies there, but it does sort of really stick out compared to how pentatonic the melody is, almost, you know unilaterally except for like the ends of the phrases there where oh now it's uh now it's uh the rest of the scale there we got the leading tone right i, I should have i should have remembered our viewers at home can't see the air quotes that i put around wrong notes mm. but um that's like a the prokofiev comment i think someone would call prokofiev um like bach with the wrong notes or maybe it might not have been prokofiev but there was that quote because prokofiev to me always had these little like he would do the kind of like tonic fifth motions but then occasionally stick a tritone in there instead of right. like fifth yeah and you sure. can just hear that stick out like a sore thumb for like just a moment i'm not sure i necessarily heard it as heard it that way either then again i love pieces like the chopin wrong note etude um like well, what a nerd yeah i know right <laughs> opus 25 folks right number or is it number 10 number five? Oh shoot you know, I, I, should I should yeah. know, but I don't. But, you know, absolutely great composition. And he's continually throwing in these uh, kind of blue notes or notes that clearly don't belong in the harmonic structure of the piece. And I'm really attracted to pieces that kind of do this. I don't really hear them that way. It's just kind of an interesting tonality that exists for a brief second, brief moment, and then moves on. Um, oh, go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Sorry, no. Um, oh, no. And I just wanted to go back for one second about the the ragtime thing. Yeah, clearly it's not, you know, ragtime in any sense of the tonality or what's happening structurally or anything like that. But 
I'm glad that you brought that up, Matt, that yeah, rhythmically, I'm hearing these dance tunes or like these little dance um, rhythms thrown in there. And that's definitely what I'm picking up on. And yeah, Copeland for sure. Sorry, go ahead, Robbie. No, I was just gonna say a lot of, you know, at least to, to my ears, one of the textures that, that comes up a lot for for this new new music, I'm using air quotes now too, new music in classical music, is this sort of um, much more rhythmically driven, I would say, by and large, generally, it's, 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 like this is a good example, it's very percussive, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, the main ideas are, you could say they're rhythmic rather than, you know, uh, harmonic or, or melodic almost, da 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 that's kind of the big thing, right? That dance rhythm. And then it's more, at least the harmony, I would kind of characterize it as more tone-centered rather than what you might think of as functional harmony, right? Where we definitely have, like, a note we keep coming back to. That's that, that bump 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 So it d sticks out in our ear, but it's not like we've got now these functional kind of patterns where we're going to four and five now, but it's, it's um, you know, not totally out of nowhere, far out dissonances and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and there was such a weird little renewed interest in like the pentatonic scale and like kind of modal pentatonicism. The other composer that came to mind for me wasn't actually um, Copeland, it was Vaughn Williams. Do you guys remember Vaughn Williams's concertos or concert concerti? You know, I think the only Vaughn Williams I've ever really listened to are some of the symphonies I've played. Middle symphonies, Vaughn Williams had this same tonal language where he was just kind of like exploring the pentatonic scale. Uh, for me, the language that I heard in this composition, and this is around the time of Vaughn Williams, right, was um, echoed in his, yeah. in his uh, tuba concerto or concerto and the oboe concerto, both of which were like markedly uh, pentatonic in, in a way. I'm not super, it's funny, we keep referring to this as new music. He lived till 1990, you know, and some of his, like that concerto I talked about earlier, he wrote it in 1985. So some of that's definitely new music. But when I think of Copeland, I don't really think of new music anymore, right? And when I think of Vaughn Williams, I don't really think of new music anymore. Prokofiev and Shostakovich, they're all, you know, they all wrote pieces within the last 100 years. And yet, I don't really think of it as new music, but this kind of, this has aged in such a way that it doesn't sound old either. That's I'm not exactly thing. sure yeah, where I'm going with this, but... No, again, if you didn't tell, because you didn't tell us when we first heard it, I could have placed this either in, like, as Robbie said, the Americana kind of period of, of composition, or I could have guessed, like, I want to say 90s, right after, like, post-minimalism. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because yeah. it could For fit sure. in. It could fit in in like either of those kind of times. I wouldn't say anywhere in between because the '60s and the '70s just got a bit too crunchy for piano music. It, it's it is funny. It actually it's aged quite well. But uh, I kind of want to go on a little soapbox uh, that Eric. Now that you've opened up the the door of talking about new Please. music, yes, take it away. So I think Robbie, you also made mention of this, except you you were a couple decades off. You said 1930, that was only 70 years ago. That's right. 90 years ago now. Ah. However, yeah. um, you know, us in the, in the classical musical, in the classical music sphere, we're used to pieces dated over a hundred years now being hailed as new music. For me, it's always um, 
I get very Perot. passionate about Pierrot, yes. Yeah. Because get this folks, Pierrot was written the same year as Daphnis and Chloe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What what is that? Nineteen twelve ish, I think. Twelve. Yeah, I was gonna say eleven. All right. It was either eleven or twelve because it was also really close to Firebird. That's right. Also, for the folks at home, that's referring to the the seminal Perot Lunaire piece by Schoenberg, which is a very big kind of new music vanguard piece, is usually talked about. That's yeah, the piece where it, if you want to make people upset about new music, you can show them Pierrot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, let's see. Just anecdotally, um, I performed Perot in undergrad. I turned pages and... for that. <laughs> Yes, Robbie was our page turner. And uh, people still, you know, 100, 100 plus years later are walking out of the concert hall literally saying, what did I just listen to? You know, it's aged in that way that it's still considered, oh, this is avant-garde new music. But at this point, it's really not, is it, Matt? Oh, I mean, it's ironically the, like, it's the progenitor of new music now. Pierrot is literally the name of an entire like portfolio requirement you need to have uh, for composition people you need to have a puro ensemble piece in your portfolio especially if you're going to be applying to things or you know there's tons of competitions you can write for that ask you to write for a puro ensemble but i really like this i really like this pig <laughs> i really like this pig town bling and again if you didn't tell me when the the new music was what time this was the new music would I have been able to immediately place it into 1930? I don't, I don't know. I don't really think so. I don't think so either. Mainly because to me, it almost sounds like a piece uh, that's supposed to represent that era of music. Not necessarily was written during that era of music, but something that's like, oh, I want to do like a throwback piece. I'm going to compose a piece that's almost in this style. Right. Um, yeah, he, he obviously lived very long, but this piece I don't think was recorded for the first time until 1998. So it sat on the shelf a long time, and maybe Gosh. that's part of the reason, you know. Maybe you could speak to that as a composer, Matt, just briefly. Writing so much music and just, like, having such a hard time getting people to play the dang thing. I mean, you could argue that it was it was new music in 1930, and then it was 19 music, or it was new music in 19, what, when was it performed? In the 90s? I mean, it never stopped. 1998. It never stopped being new music in a way, you know? Right, yeah. If you don't, It was all you, new to us. Right, certainly. If you never release it, it's always going to be new, folks. That's the secret right there. That's the secret. Never release anything. <laughs> never all release right. anything, yeah. Well, I think that wraps up uh, the discussion on Mr. Bacon's Pigtown Fling. Oh, that sounds like a delicious restaurant. Mr. Bacon's Pigtown <laughs> Fling. I hope he was at least aware of, you know, Pigtown bacon. I, I think I'd like to think that that was in the back of his mind. Mm -hmm. um, should we wrap up? Should we talk about what we're listening to this week? Sure. I'll start. This week, I listened to, uh, there's an eight-piece kind of jazz uh, funk ensemble from London called Coco Roco. It's uh, all capital Good letters. Name. And they, it is a good name. And hold on, let me get. I want to get the name of the single. They released the single. Ah, it's "Carry Me Home." "Carry Me Home" is the single. Good track. Listen to that. I'll go next. So for this podcast, I've been listening to just for our viewers at home, the pleasant 
sounds of Noki purring into Matt's microphone. Uh, <laughs> it's not just him, folks. Okay, he's got a cat. Um, and uh, no, last week I think I talked about the clarinet homages, homages, um, and this week I started working on one of them, uh, written in the style of Bella Bartok. And so I've been going back and listening to a lot of Bartok pieces to kind of figure out where he got his inspiration for some of the melodic themes, kind of compositional techniques and textures that the solo piece uh, provides. So things like Bartok Concerto for Orchestra or Bartok solo violin pieces, stuff like that. All right, Matt? I've been listening to, um, I've been going back to my, my favorites a little bit so that I can, you know, kind of draw some inspiration for this commission I've got coming up. So I've been getting back into um, Takamitsu, Toru Takamitsu. Uh, I've been listening to his string music in particular, um, A String Around Autumn and The Requiem, which is like his seminal work. And then outside of the classical sphere, I've been listening to the new the two kind of new Blackpink releases. There's their new comeback and um, the collab they did with Selena Gomez, one of which is much better than the other. And that's all I'll say about that. Right. And leave a comment on <laughs> our various socials, which one you think it is. By the way, we've got <laughs> socials now. Uh, so you can follow us uh, on, I think it's what? For Facebook and Instagram, it's drop the needle in the haystack. It right? should be that across all Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Drop the needle in the haystack. So please, we beg you, follow us there and retweet everything that we tweet so that we may disseminate this information to the globe. And we'll be sure to release um, information about updates and when the new episodes come out. You can, you can catch that again on Twitter, follow our Facebook page, and we'll have some stuff on Instagram too. That's right. We might even put our uh, reacting a little bit to that video from our first first selection today. So you want to get that. As always, folks, thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure, you guys. And uh, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.